0: Hello and welcome to The Venue. I'm Greg Wolf, uh, IVM's Education Manager. I'm very happy today to be joined by Mr. Ken Stockdale, our special guest. Uh, Ken is with HKS. He's the Vice President and Director of Convention Centers. Uh, Ken, I've I've known Ken for many years now. It's it's been a great joy working with him on all our committees. Uh, We really wanted to have him in today. He has some very insightful things, I think, to say. Uh, in particular, about the changing nature, changing nature of public spaces. Uh, but we'll also get into some other topics today. So, Ken, welcome. Thank you for coming on. Thanks, Greg. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So, you know, we talked earlier. There's a bunch of stuff we could talk about, but we tried to narrow it down a little bit. And and and. In the, but this case, we called it the changing nature of public spaces. Could you unpack that a little bit for us?
1: Well, one of the things I've been observing uh, over the years is is how the the concourse pre-function spaces, particularly outside of meeting rooms and exhibit halls are, are getting used now. Um, the, the pre-function outside of a ballroom has always been uh, used as a, a, a party space before the event and all those kinds of things, but the, the pre-function spaces in particular in the concourses outside meeting rooms have been thought of as ways to get from one session to another or one part of the building to another and really just corridors for circulation. But uh, what's been going on in the industry I think in the last several years is um, those spaces are now being thought of as uh, places for people to gather, just like the the enclosed meeting spaces. Maybe for a less formal session, but in, in some cases, um, they're being used for content delivery uh, as hmm. well, where a small session uh, is is being held, maybe around a series of community tables or um, uh, lounge furniture is grouped together to create a space for people to gather a little bit more in a little bit more informal setting. Um, and those are becoming pretty popular. And I think part of it is driven by some of the social interaction. Uh, cultural changes that are happening, where, right. where that sort of serendipitous meeting in the corridor happens, and then you want to go find a place to hang out for a little bit and have a conversation. Um, you know, maybe the changing demographics is, is affecting that some on uh, the meeting attendees as well. A lot of the convention centers, especially some of the older ones, don't have those places. Um, either the the space is too physically small. To find a spot to set that furniture up, or uh, the furniture isn't in inventory. They, they don't. They don't. Unlike a hotel lobby, for example, which is really designed to create those kind of spaces, uh, those kinds of locations within the space, the convention centers have have not traditionally had that as much. And um, what well, what I'm seeing is is the the sh- the events are actually setting up. Uh, places to do that. Um, one example, have uh, been to the uh, PCMA's Convening Leaders Meeting uh, two mm-hmm. out of the last three years, and they've really been looking at this in, in some interesting ways, um, and uh, they've been working with Steelcase to uh, bring in furniture to, to set up those spaces. And w- what the Steelcase people have told me actually is that the buildings come to them after and say, Hey, can you leave this furniture? We really like what you've done here. Um, and, and we want to kind of keep it, um, you know, there are other, certainly there are other, uh, furniture rental companies that, are, that the shows are working with to do that, but, um, there's a whole segment of the, uh, of the, uh, general services contracting industry that's starting to tap into this and provide that service to the shows, um, especially the larger scale ones. So I think that, what that's leading to is that the, the meeting planners are starting to think about those spaces as places they can program mm-hmm. and not just a place to walk through or to set yeah, up it's a inter- coffee cart or something.
0: Right. What's interesting too, I mean, you spoke earlier uh, for a call about, you know, the comprehensive uh, philosophy that in- architects have to embrace. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, the, you, you build something, you design something it's built and then it's used. And so, right. You know, thinking in the future, uh, how this will be in the future, I'm sure is is one of the challenges. And again, is it? Do you have to have a, an eye to the flexibility of how the space will use in the future? Because this is a change that you said is only a few years old. You know, do you see architects starting to have these conversations about future space being used? or are you? How do you, how do you frame that? I, I think so.
1: Well, what it's what it's going to do, I think, is is you know, the life, the, the cycle of renovation and new construction in, in the convention center and part of the, of the market is something like 10 years. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, big, big transformational renovations are happening on kind of that rhythm. And that, that means that, um, you know, this, this thing that, I'm, that we're talking about today, I think it's been emerging over the last three to five years Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe a little longer, but it's certainly been been on my radar for that long. And so the the building cycle hasn't quite caught up with that yet. Um, And I think what's gonna what we'll the kinds of things we'll see happening first is this will be a should be a point of conversation when renovations come up and what Mm -hmm. what do we do to the Mm -hmm. wall between the concourse and the meeting room space. Do we try to open it up with uh, an operable partition or air wall uh, to be able to make those open? Do we want to try and uh, expand? You probably can only do the exterior side easily uh, in certain cases. So do we want to create more space in those in those uh, circulation spaces? Or is there an underused corner of something that we can populate with with furniture, one of the one of the good examples of this uh, in the convention center in Vancouver, hmm. uh, because the a lot of the meeting spaces up on the roof, um, there are these big these areas that are just open concourse space that are not uh, not they're floor that you had to build, but they're not really programmed in any way. So they've taken advantage of those to create these. I think of a building like uh, the Baltimore Convention Center, for example. Um, the older parts of it had, the, because the meeting rooms sit on top of the exhibit hall, lots of extra room there. Um, and you know, we were there a couple of years ago, and uh, that's a perfect scenario for trying to create some of these kind of spaces because they already got the, the territory. Um, a little bit, you know, a, a convention center in a, in a more urban area that has restrictions and has a narrow concourse is going to be a lot. It's going to be a lot tougher for them to find. These kinds of opportunities. So that's where the creativity that that we architects bring to the table can ha- help have those conversations. And you know, are there other spaces we could take over on the internal side to to uh, to create those things? Well, um, it, so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you mentioned too. Uh, you know, so that's the pre-function space. But even between. The inside and the outside, right? Yeah. There's some dynamics there as well, right?
1: Yeah, you know, as, as uh, I think Charlie Johnson talked about a couple months ago on, yeah. on this podcast, talking about how these buildings are, and, and it's not just convention centers, it's it's arenas, right. it's stadiums, it's, it's all of the types of projects that um, our IVM colleagues manage, mm-hmm. uh, are starting to become very interested in, well, continuing to become very interested in creating a district mm-hmm. that the the venue becomes at least part of the anchor for, uh, if not the only anchor for. Um, and so I'm trying to create places that are part of the convention center or the arena or the stadium on the outside edge that um, the general public can interact with, as well as the, the event attendee from the inside side um, and how the, what that looks like it could be things like uh, like the Starbucks or the yeah I'll, I'll just say more generically the coffee place or right th- that's coffee during the day maybe becomes a bar at night it can become part mm-hmm. of that streetscape that both sides can interact with now there are certainly a lot of challenges to, to solve for that for one thing if the events going on at the same time that that outdoor access is available, how do you control badge security? And right, all, right. You know, we're going to have to think through a lot of those challenges. But yep. it's the kind of thing that the community is going to be much more interested in. Plus, uh, you know, as you and I were talking earlier, it maybe provides a place on site there. Where if you're a, a part of a group and you're going to go to dinner together, but you're waiting on a few stragglers, you got a place to go to do that. Yeah. Um, that's yes. That's right there at, at the center. Um, mm-hmm. Could be the kind of thing where you bring in a, a local uh, branded food and beverage provider mm-hmm. that gives that little bit of local ambience, too. A lot of possibilities there. In a case where you're uh, you've got some land between the curb and your building enough to do Mm -hmm. this you could even create some outdoor Mm -hmm. uh, areas to to do that 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 um, outdoor seating uh, maybe a place for an easy place to bring in food trucks when you if you wanted to do that as a special event um, um, for a street festival place for vendors to set up their temporary tents and things like that so so now all of a sudden this public space on the inside side in the convention center becomes the mediator between the outside public realm and the the badged ticketed person going to the meeting and they maybe there's the opportunity all the security issues notwithstanding for them to to start to mix and and get to get to interact with each other well it's it's, it's an idea that's kind of just getting started for me, anyway, in, in, in thinking about what we, how we do that, and does it make sense?
0: Yeah, it's, it's also, it's almost thinking about the curation of the guest experience, mm-hmm. you know. And now that the architect and the venue manager and the programmer are starting to get in that same wavelength. Of you know, and also for the venue manager, I'm sure there's a you know opportunity for an increased revenue. You say you know the coffee, depending on the coffee shop's owned by a franchise or not, or you know I I can name a couple venue uh, venues I've been to where they have a bar there, Mm -hmm. and it's just one more little piece of revenue they can add to the bottom line, which is always helpful. And it's it's interesting too because especially depending on the hotel situation near the near the. Convention center. I know that's you know hotels and convention centers are really starting to. It seems to me really get in sync with each yep. other, and it almost seems the entire cities are. It seems that yep. you know you go to uh, like Nashville and their airport is definitely in sync with what's going on at the city proper. Right. And right. I don't know if that's. It's got to be obviously it's conscious, but I don't know if that's somewhere. You know, I just think if you look at our population, you mentioned a couple things. One, the social. The social nature of this, but two, I think also is just more people are moving to cities to begin with. Yeah, that's right. And so where are they going to go? Where are they going to congregate? And the convention center really is a focal point of that. Yeah. Um, And it also seems, too, that more – how do you get their locals to go to the convention center? It's one thing if we as an organization go there. Right. And now we're saying, okay, well, wait. I mean, this could be a bar for the locals to go to when there's not a show, and that's one more thing. There's not a dark day for convention centers. So I, I mean, it's true. certainly clear, you know, that your comprehension philosophy, comprehensive philosophy that you're bringing to the table as an architect, could definitely, you know. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, there's, there's another subtle
0: thing to think about
1: here too. Is one of the challenges in the general in the general public is is convention centers are largely built for visitors. mm Hmm. You know, even though we talk about them as the gathering space for a community, the practical reality is most of the time the people that live in the community (laughs) only go there for the car show or the home show or or or, or, those kinds of events. But if they can have a more depending on it all depends on where the convention center is in the community too. If it's convenient, Mm. Um, you know, historically a lot of the especially the bigger ones have been built out on the edges, so they're Mm. not where the the lunchtime activity is necessarily, things like that. But as the cities start to grow toward them, uh, that's viable. So the, the point being, getting funding approval for expansions yeah. and renovations and getting them built in the first place, partly is is difficult because the general voting population doesn't understand how these things work or even what right. they are. And so as a maybe a secondary way to to get them to interact a little bit more with with these facilities that that their input is so important to um it, it can it can really maybe be a positive pr moment too you mentioned when we were talking before we started here uh, the the bar in tampa I forget what they, right. what they yeah. call it i think it's
0: called three sales something like yeah that.
1: the they they have really done a good job of yeah of doing kind of all those things they they've made that an anchor for they've got a waterfront site so it's a natural attraction mm-hmm. for people to go there um uh creating a place where they can create an event that the public comes to mm-hmm. um, Plus the benefit of the F and B revenue, so it, it's kind of the yep. it's a great example of, of the kind of thing I'm talking about. It's not connected to the building so much, right? Uh, but they also have had a space that is in the building as well, that's, that's right. right close by too. So um, finding opportunities for that um, that kind of inside outside interaction is is going to be something interesting as these whole uh, this district approach matures over time right
0: so so tell me a little about you know you are in, you know hks does a lot of various types of buildings mm-hmm. but you're specifically in convention centers is there something about that atmos that type of building that you as an architect find appealing or is is there something that you've learned over the course of your career of it just is your niche Could you, may you tell us a little about yourself in that regard yeah. why why convention centers well uh as often
1: happens, it's one of those serendipitous things. It, I, when I started my career, um, the desk I was assigned happened to be in the convention center studio. I started out doing uh, – I was the construction administration clerk for the second phase of the Georgia World Congress Center. Okay. It was being built, and um, that was the need they had when I was looking for part-time work while I was finishing school. so. I got got introduced to convention centers right at the very beginning and uh, got the chance to walk through that building under construction every day for nearly a year. Um, And then uh, uh, Andy McLean and I, uh, he he asked me to uh, uh, help him gather some data back in 1983 and four on convention centers, and that's kind of what got it started. And what what I really have enjoyed is um, a couple things. That first of all, these are big buildings, and they're often the biggest building that a community builds, um, in terms both of size and dollar value. Um, you know, if you got a you got a large sports stadium, that's going to rival it too. But uh, so they're they're big and they're important, and um, they're intended to be economic development engines for the community by bringing in that outside money and and so right. forth and so the benefit to making it, making the community more vibrant and better has always been an attraction to me um, both from the doing good design to create a, a nice physical presence in the community to enhance their their economic resources and then often we're dealing with people who don't understand the construction industry at all uh- and so you, we were talking about uh, uh, about teaching earlier, and that that is yes. a particular interest that I have. Is I, al- I almost always find myself educating people mm. on what architecture is about, what const- how construction works, um, all of those things, and I, I really enjoy that. Um, uh, enjoy doing that, and. and it's always fun to kind of watch the result at the end when the lights go, when the lights on the building go on and then the light bulbs go off in their heads at the same time. And they say, oh, now we get it.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, it's a couple of things come to mind. Number one, you know, are, on the whole, are convention centers kind of have a longer lifespan than say, arenas and stadiums?
1: Yeah, I would, I would say so, at partly because the arenas you know, and stadiums are so driven by the premium ticket sales these days and, and that whole environment. Changes over time. Uh, Certainly, you know, convention centers' lifespan, we assume it's going to be 50 plus years for the building itself. And that, uh, you know, as I said earlier, it's going to be 10 years between Mm -hmm. probably major renovation cycles um, and certainly between expansion cycles. So you've got to think about what uh, making the building last that long, uh, easy to maintain, and all those things, but also uh anticipating the kinds of things we're talking about here and and nobody's got that kind of a crystal ball so so we are always talking using this word flexibility so that it can mm-hmm. adapt and um, you know what that what flexibility means has certainly changed a lot over the years um, but trying to as best we can mm-hmm. within the budget that we've been given to work with we try to make these spaces as flexible as possible so um uh, trying to uh, trying to anticipate that someday maybe somebody's going to want to open that wall up even if you don't see it today or uh, uh, making the the exterior wall as transparent as possible so you can see in and out at least to help Mm -hmm. that street interaction those kinds of things are, are, are important to us what those are going to lead to uh, who knows uh, in the end and each each circumstance is of course different um, what you do uh, on the exterior in downtown philadelphia for example is a lot different than what you do in orlando right uh, because they're very different environments in which those buildings are placed um, but um, you know as we're as we're seeing the the kinds of things the 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 LA lives and the, the Texas lives that are that are going on the the work that's going on in in uh, Los Angeles around the new football stadiums and those districts that are being being built up those same kinds of things are happening with with the convention centers too and and cre- setting it up so that you can easily connect to those things has always been a, yeah. a challenge for us and and um, you know in a case like here in Atlanta. Uh, The World Congress Center was originally built sort of off by itself on the edge of of town because the only big piece of land was an old railroad yard, and it took the Olympics to kind of make that connection. And now it's functioning in this sort of district-like way, um, the way it was always envisioned that it could Mm -hmm. um, even 30 years ago. So, um, you know, as we're trying to do these new ones now, uh, newer ones and renovate, the existing ones we're trying to keep that in mind because you've seen it happen and there's even greater pressure on it now to, to create those kinds of in, entertainment and, and uh, 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 good quality urban environments that people want to come to
0: make them well, the destination. You, yeah, when well, you mentioned the long-termness of it all. I'm sure on a personal level that can be very rewarding that you've worked with the same individual for 20 years sometimes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine that it has to have – I mean, surely that has some kind of just
1: – It,
0: it, it, it does. It, it, it does. And, you know, I always like to say that
1: all these – the projects that I've worked on uh, all over the country and even internationally, um, almost every one of them I come away from the experience with at least one close friend that I, you know, don't necessarily keep in touch with regularly. But, sure. you know, I can call – a lot of the, a lot of the real great names in in this industry, yeah. uh, friends, you know, uh, right. Cliff Wallace, Tom Mobley, um, Jimmy Four was have all been clients over the years. I've known David Coston up in Chicago for twenty years, um, you know, uh, and and many of them have, have kind of handed me off. I remember. Uh, uh, you know, working with jan addison when, when she was uh, sure. working in orlando she was part of the convention center committee when i first joined it and uh you know she was gracious enough to help me continue those relationships um over time as she has gone off and doing photography i think now <laughs> in, that's true, that's true. So, well, and yeah. same thing's true with the architects that i work with um mm, right in the local communities uh, many of them are the clients the the project managers that are, are still remain friends uh, even long after the project's finished.
0: Well, and I, I, I we probably probably need to, probably need to wrap up soon. But yeah. maybe we should end on this note. You know, I, I you've mentioned a couple of times the relationships you've made. You've, it just seems that this industry more than and I think the real one of the real purpose of this podcast is to demonstrate or show that it's something we already all know that the ally members and professional members really are partners yeah. uh, in the business of any management. And it's not vendors and buyers. It really is. A, oh, I, you know, I hate to be uh, what's the word? Not cheesy, but, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a lifelong relationship, mm-hmm. you know, sure between, is. you know, all the individuals or stakeholders. So maybe tell us, you know, in your experience, you know, what is, what are some, some things about when, when the relationship between the architect and the stakeholder and the venue manager is working very well, what are those, what are those things that you've noticed that all of those successful relationships have? If you could just, if you could tell a person, here's here's here. Okay, here's here's the question. You know, I'm sure you have you know you, new architects coming to your firm all the time. If you're going to give you know her or him some advice, what what of tep- what typifies a, a success relationship between what you all do and your and the venue managers, you know, and, and what you work with?
1: Well, first thing I tell, and I've I've actually done this. Um, the first thing I say to the younger folks is. The most important thing about the business we're in is the relationships that we develop over the years. and it's 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 actually more important than the project because a good project comes out of having good relationships among all the players. Uh, you can tell when you're in the middle of it, if a project's going to be successful or not, if if you're if the relationships turn adversarial, it's going to be bad. Sure. And it's not going to finish well, but but if – and I think the key to that is recognizing that everybody that you – in those categories you just mentioned, the stakeholders, the venue managers, the general services contractors, the product vendors, the design professionals, and other service professionals that are involved in it, every one of us has an expertise to bring to the table. And mm. – I've had experiences actually where the best design idea for a project didn't come from the designer. It came from somebody else who's coming at it from a different perspective um, or who didn't come from the most experienced person in the room either. Um, You know, the younger person says, Hey, what about this approach? And everybody says, well, duh, why didn't we think of that? Um, So I think, um, the, the the key to making this successful and enjoyable and um, something that you want to keep doing hmm. is enjoy doing it, is learning to enjoy who you're doing it with. Hmm. Um, you know, we it's it, it, life's too short to to sure, hate sure. Doing it every day and and for it to, to make it hard on everybody. Um, and that's one of the great things about about the way the IAVM works. In my experience, is that we're all in there together. We all learn mm-hmm. from each other. Um, you know, I've been, I've enjoyed being on the convention center committee because uh, um, just getting to hear all those different perspectives and what what those what all the folks are interested in. And um, I learn from it. You know, even if it's not directly applicable to. To um, what I do every day, I'm a curious person, and I I, I enjoy mm-hmm. hearing about what all the what all those other folks do. And, it, and it, I might not know today how that's going to affect how I design a building, but one of these days, and and again, this has happened too, where I think you know, I, I remember having a conversation with this person, and that influences this thing we're talking about in this designing this convention center right now. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, um, and the other thing that has always been energizing for me is that because they have to be people that run convention centers are are the some of the most creative people I know Hmm. because they got to solve a problem in the next five minutes to keep the show going and. um, it may not always be pretty in the end, but it gets the job done, Right, and, and they have to think outside of the box every day, and I, I really admire that about, about our, uh, you know, the professional member colleagues.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, the show must go on, right? If It's right. a rock star, a football game, or a, or a show at a convention center. and I mean, that, that's definitely, you're right on. That ability to triage problems, too. Like, you know, something's always going to go wrong, and then deciding, all right, how do we proceed, which I'm sure is a project management skill too that you know you're from you know you use as well yep, but that's right yeah I, I, I agree with you that that's certainly there and something that's admirable well uh, Ken it's been a lot of fun thank you for coming on um, you know and of course thank you for all your work and you know, on the convention center committee uh, you've been on there for many many years uh, you know you also uh, kind of spearhead the uh, design charettes uh, that we started last year It was actually your idea and I think it's been very successful and I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, because as you said, you get to hear people in the room that yep. don't, and sometimes too, you might have a coordinator who was in the room at the, at the boot camp, you know, who's enjoying the, that you might use in your next meeting with, yeah. with the general manager. So I, I can't yeah. imagine and that that's just not so much, it's a lot of fun. I know you get to also bring in some of your colleagues and that's another thing too, very collegiate atmosphere. You yep. know, you happen to be for HKS, but you have colleagues in other firms, right. uh, that get to join in the fun and, and, um, so yeah, so thank you for all of that. Uh, and, of course, you, know, you also joined our safety and security subcommittee for convention centers, which I think is very insightful and very good, too, because I think you, you add that, just it, it, it's grounding to hear the physical, all right, what are we doing in situation on the ground, what do convention centers have in terms of facilities available for safety and security, and you know, right. it's just part of the world we live in now. It's got to be more of a concern, and it is, and uh, so I, I really appreciate your perspective on that. So, yeah, last final thoughts. Uh, you know, we've talked about a lot of stuff here. Anything else you want to tell the audience? Well, I'll just do a
1: little, a little promo for the, for the uh, design at boot camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are at least preliminarily talking about uh, doing an exercise uh, this year that is a little bit related to what we've been talking about today with the, the uh, public spaces. We're talking about the outside side mainly. Hmm. But, um, um, you know, we're, we're limited to a limited number of, of seats, but uh, right. yeah. I encourage our colleagues to join us for that conversation.
0: Oh, well, absolutely. Well, uh, so that's July 22nd, uh, 1245 to 3 p.m. Uh, you know, in fact, it's not enough time, actually. I think you actually have to cut some stuff. Uh, but that's the boot camp. Uh, now, anyone could attend that, of course. You do right. to be a convention center. Uh, nope. You can, you know, you can any, any sector can come. Uh, but really appreciate that touch course in Chicago, Venue Connect. Well, thank you, Ken, so very much. and uh, We look forward to seeing you at Venue Connect. And if anyone has any questions for Ken, please, he'll be around at Venue Connect walking around. Uh, and I'm sure he'll, he loves hearing new ideas, as you can hear. So thanks again, Ken. All right. Thank you, Greg. You got it.